Have you ever been blamed for something? Good, nobody. I'm the only one. Okay, so um, don't you hate that when, when someone makes an accusation against you and you're like, wait, wait, wait. I, I didn't do that. And if you, you know, if, if you, if, you know, you raise kids or you have kids in your house now, you know, there's always, especially if you have multiple kids in your house, there's always that blame game. Someone's always blaming something else for something that happened because they don't uh, want to get in trouble. And we we're in this series talking about finding God's grace, making a, a U-turn in our life from the way we think and, and what we resort to and what we default to, to resorting to God's grace and, and, and how does God want us to react. And, and I believe one issue that we really struggle with, every single one of us struggling in our life, is the blame game. We seem to always blame something else for the things that maybe are going wrong in our lives. And I really, I want to dig into that today. I, I want us to do a little self-discovery um, of ourselves and, and why we tend to default to blaming others for the issues in our lives and how we can actually take responsibility in our lives and then, and then allow God's grace to overshadow our lives so that our default is not automatically blame, but responsibility. And listen, if you can understand this and apply this to your life, it's going to, it's going to reconcile a lot of uh, shaky relationships that you have in your life. Um, it, it will improve your, your marriage and the relationship with your, your kids. The, the hard part for us as human beings is to take responsibility and own it. It's hard to own our part. We, we want to blame other people. I, I, you know, all of you know that I love the, the, the Buffalo Bills and I'm just, a, you know, I, I, I like them even though they stink, but I like them. And, and, you know, they finally made the playoffs not too long ago and it's just, it's hard. But I remember, you know, uh, you know, when they made to the, finally made to the Super Bowl in 1991 uh, when they were in the Super Bowl and Scott Norwood missed it wide right, 47-yard field goal to actually win the game and, and win the Super Bowl. And I, I mean, I remember just watching that game and I was so deflated. And I remember a lot of blame went towards the kicker. And he felt horrible. I mean, he just, you know, it wasn't a chip shot. It was 47-yard field goal. It wasn't easy field goal. By, it wasn't automatic, but he missed it and he could have won the game. And what's interesting, they did some uh, interviews with some of the other players. And some of the other really good players on the team, one was Nate Odoms. He said, hey, if, if I would have made that tackle on third and 13, it wouldn't have come down to a field goal. Another wide receiver, Andre Reese, said, you know, Andre Reese said, if, man, if I would have caught that pass on the 15-yard line, we could have actually got a touchdown instead of three points, and it, and it wouldn't have come down to that. See, we want to blame the kicker, and in reality, how many, how many of us know it's a team sport? There's other players on, on the field, too. We, 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 not, we just want to blame one person. You know, uh, you know, we ask the question, hey, why did you do so poorly at school? Well, the teacher didn't like me. They had it out for me. They don't like me. Did you study? Well, maybe not so much. See, see we, we want someone to be the fall guy. It, it's their fault for this. Let me give you this first quote right off the bat. Ready? Blame is much easier to assign. So look at the screens here. Blame is much easier to what? To assign. It's easier to assign blame than to assume responsibility for our actions. Can I just get an amen there? Listen, I know we got ladies on the ladies, ladies retreat. I see a lot of single guys out there, all right? Uh, we got a 
great year. They're like almost 70 ladies on the laser retreat, and they're, they're finishing up today, and, and they've had a great weekend. But, but listen, so you got to help me preach this morning, all right? It's <laughs> okay. Father God, just help us here today. Give us, okay, I'm on my own. Yeah, okay, that's good. So, so here we go. So how many of us realize it's much easier to assign blame than to assume responsibility for our actions? Is that, can, can we get a consensus there that that's true? It's much easier to do that. See, see, why is our default to blame first and not take responsibility for our part? Because the, the issue is we don't want to own it. It's, it's, it's a much easy, it's much easier to have a conversation that would go this way if we would own part of it, but we, we don't want to do that. And, and have, have you ever just been in a conversation where somebody just wouldn't own their part of it? It's frustrating, isn't it? That's a frustrating conversation. Parents, maybe you had these conversations with your kids and you ask them to do something and they say something like, I got busy, my stomach hurts. Um, oh, is that what you meant? Okay, take out the garbage. How other way can you interpret take out the garbage? I don't know. But is that what you meant? I forgot. My alarm didn't go off. I was tired. Um, I, I didn't think you, you meant right this minute. I can, you know, the biggest excuse I always hear is, is I'm busy. I was just busy. I was, can we all be honest with ourselves here? Aren't we all busy? We're, we're, we're all busy. Yes, we're all busy. And I believe busyness gets a lot of blame. The excuse that I'm busy gets a lot of cred. Um, the fact is, it's very simple. The simple reason we didn't want to do something is because we didn't want to do it. <laughs> can we just, can we just own it? This, we can use busyness as our, as, as, as the excuse but the reason why we didn't do it is something is we just simply, how many of you know, we just didn't want to do it. Because if we want to do something, we will make time and we will carve out time to do it if we want to do it. But the minute we don't want to do something, we blame busyness and busyness gets a lot of blame. Poor busyness. It just gets a lot of blame. And it's much easier to say that I'm busy because we make time for things we want to do. So where does this come from? Where does this blame game come from? Well, we're, we're going to have to blame Adam and Eve for this one. Okay, we, we've got to blame somebody. So we're going to blame someone. Let's blame Adam and Eve. So the condition that we're in today, we can look back to Adam and Eve and say, man, they definitely made some mistakes. And it all started in the garden and the proclivity of man's heart, as we see in the garden, is to take care of me. So I want to look at Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at the at the, the first uh, uh, 13 verses of Genesis chapter 3. And, and I want to just read this story to you because it, it's so interesting what happens here with Adam and Eve. You know, they have this picture perfect relationship that's in the garden. Everything's provided for them. And we see this is where temptation comes and they rebel against God's word. And so I want to read that for you. And, and here's what happens. Here's the story. It says, The serpent, who is the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had, had made, one day asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from the fruit of any tree in the garden? Well, of course we may eat from the, from the fruit of the tree in the garden. For implied, it's only the fruit and the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. Okay, are those pretty specific instructions? 
So see, did, did Eve clearly know what she was not to do? Okay, she did. He says, but, but listen to the twist. Here. He says, you won't die, the serpent replied to women. God knows your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, the woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, and she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and that they suddenly felt shame for their nakedness. And so what they did is they sewed fig leaves together to, to, to cover themselves. And when the cool of the evening breeze was blowing and the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about the garden, they hid from the Lord among the trees. And the Lord God called to man and says, where are you? And he replied, well, I heard you walk in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now there's, we see this broken relationship. Well, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? The man replied, well, uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. Everybody stop, stop, stop. Here it is. What is the man? Everybody, it was the woman. You gave me. So now he, he's blaming God. You did it. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. So it's a woman you gave me the fruit and I, and I ate it. Okay. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Well, oh, here we go. The serpent deceived me. She replied. That's why I ate it. Now, now whose, whose fault is it for eating the fruit? Well, both of them were, we noticed that both of them. Eve clearly understood God's direction. Do not eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. If you do, you will die. Now, did, did Eve fool Adam? Did, did Adam not know that the tree uh, in the middle was forbidden? Well, if you go back to the previous chapter, um, Adam's not off the hook here either. It's not something that Eve did or conjured up to try to deceive Adam. Uh, listen to what happens here in, in chapter 2. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in, in, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, so we know that he's commanded, so he knew. And so the Lord commanded him, Do not eat the tree. Every other one is fine. So, so what, what's the problem here? The, the, the problem is we think that the forbidden fruit is the sweetest only to find out later it comes with a considerable price tag. It, it looked good to the eyes. It was appealing to the flesh. And all of a sudden, all reason gets thrown out the window. So both Adam and Eve, even, even they were autonomous and they had a free will uh, to choose that God gave them. They, they leaned on the side of what was appealing to them, appealing to the flesh, not, not, not becoming obedient to God and his word. It wasn't that God was trying to be a killjoy. They had all the fruit. He just said, this one you're not to eat. This is where you are to obey me and, and, and listen to my word. And so they disobeyed God and his word. Listen, can, can I just put a pin here? Let me just put a pause here. Um, we may not like everything that's written in the word of God, but that never gives us justification just to say, well, I don't like it, so I don't have to obey it. We may not completely understand it or the reason, whatever, but you know what? God does it because he cares for us. 
There is this place of obedience where it's going to come against my flesh and my reason sometimes. But God says, the reason why I've set this up for you is because I want to protect you. And there is a reason. You know, sometimes as parents, we get in these arguments with our kids. And they're like, well, why, why, why? You know, you know, parents, can I just say this to you? This is your response. Because I'm your parent. Period. You have to listen to my word and obey my word because I'm your parent. That's why. So just listen to me. Obey your, obey your parent. I love you. I care for you. We can get into this long argument and reason. But you know what? You're going to have to trust me here. And if you're a loving parent that, that, that wants the best for your kids, they may not understand all these choices you make uh, for them when they're younger. But you know what? It's because I'm your parent. And there's this obedience. Um, Ravi Zacharias has this great quote. It's in the context of, of when someone commits adultery, when someone does something outside the marriage and, and, and how we believe that this thing is going to be so wonderful and how this thing is going to fulfill uh, our dreams. And he says this, he says, the loneliest moment in life is when you've just experienced that which you've thought would deliver the ultimate and then it's just let you down. You thought this thing, this disobedience to God's word or disobedience to what God would have, you, you thought, you thought this is going to be great. And all of a sudden, you do this thing, and all of a sudden, it just let you down. That, that's a pretty, I, I agree with Ravi there, that's a pretty lonely moment. And this is where we find Adam and Eve. There's this lonely moment where they're actually hiding from God because they know that they disobeyed the Lord. Did God know why they were hiding? Of course he did. But he asked them, where are, why are you hiding? Why are you ashamed? He knew what they did. There was a broken relationship. The command God gave to Adam was to lead and protect Eve. Eve was his complement. And, 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 and what's interesting in this chapter is after the, after the creation of woman, we actually see this oneness of man and woman. Verse 25 says that they weren't ashamed because of their nakedness. They weren't ashamed of that. There was this oneness. There was this innocence um, together, they complemented each other. They understood what each other's roles were. They served each other. There, there wasn't a struggle to get their way. There wasn't this blame game. They weren't blaming each other. But all of a sudden, sin and rebellion enters the picture. And there's this destruction of this relationship. And so what happens after the fall? Well, they both understand God's instructions, yet they chose to disobey. It was through their own free will. They were autonomous to obey or not. And because of their decision, we see evil, suffering, sickness, death enters the picture. And because of their rebellion, we're all born with the sin nature and their proclivity to sin. And so after the fall, we see this massive shift in their relationship. We see this massive shift in the relationship between them and God. And so this is what we're dealing with today. Listen, listen, let's, can we just not fool ourselves just to believe that because we're a Christian and we read, maybe read the Bible every day and we come to church, that we're never going to have struggles in our relationship or struggle in our obedience to God. The, the hardest thing you will have in your life is your obedience to God because there's the flesh. Paul talked about it. We're going to be, there, there's this war that we wage on our flesh. One day we feel like we're doing really well. And the next day we feel like, man, what happened? You know, I may, I may get impatient over here and then over here I may be real patient. There's this, there's this constant struggle that we're fighting against our sinful man. 
And even though we were redeemed and Christ has saved us and we're righteous in him, Paul explains it to us that we're still battling the flesh. The flesh still rears its ugly head. Somebody say amen. It's still there. We've got to battle it every single day. And the way we battle the flesh is through God's amazing grace. There's got to be a shift in our mindset to realize that the minute I put my life on cruise control, And think that I'm not going to be tempted or that this thing that I struggled with 40 years ago or 20 years ago or five years ago won't bother me anymore. That's the day you're going to fall flat on your face. Let's be careful. Let's be careful not just to think, oh, I'm okay and I'm not going to struggle with that. Man, when you get that kind of mindset, look out. The enemy is going to be right there. The enemy is going to be right there to cause you to fall. So after the fall, we see this massive, massive shift in their relationship. And so what's the result of, of the sin in, in Adam and Eve's relationship? What's the result here? The first one's very sad because the first thing is they actually, the, the word of God says they hid from God. And so what we see is this broken relationship. The relationship they had with God is, is now broken. They're actually cast out of the garden, this perfect setting that they had. So they actually hid from God because of their guilt, So now they see shame because of their life. And so the second thing I want you to see, um, the broken relationship with God, is they were ashamed of their nakedness. Because of sin, they became vulnerable, they became insecure, and then they became aware of this guilt. And so God asked them, who told you who who were naked? And he says, no one. They, They knew so. They hid. They covered their shame. Before the fall, they didn't feel this shame. They were unashamed. And so now we see, once again, they hid from God. There's this shame because of this broken relationship. The third thing there, they blame someone else for their choice now. And so Adam blamed Eve and God, Eve blamed the serpent. You know, the the devil made me do it. And so here's, here's what we're constantly fighting with because pride keeps us from taking responsibility for our lives. It's really what, what it's, if we don't deal with our pride, it's always going to defeat us. How could, that, how could that person say that to me? Who do they think they are? Right? So that pride is there. And, and pride is going to keep us from taking responsibility for our life and allowing God's grace to flow in our life so that we can walk in the peace of God. So when, it, when, when we come face to face with our sin, we have to come to the realization that it's our proud hearts that, 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 that look to point to someone else and justify our actions. So we say things like, well, the boss, boss is ruthless. The kids are driving me nuts. I thought my marriage would be much different. My job is a dead-end job. I'll never advance. I had a lousy upbringing. See, all these things we can use to justify the reason why we blame everything that happens in our life and the bad choices that we make. Now, listen, listen, listen. All these things may be true. They may be true. But the question is, what are we doing? Do these things become our reason for not changing? Do these things become a reason for us not showing grace? You see, blame can be the excuse we use to justify our complacency and even our sin. So look at that. Look at the screen here. Let me give you that. Blame can be the excuse that we use 
to justify our complacency and even our sins. Somebody say amen there, okay? It can be. And so we hide behind that. And what we do is we cut off God's grace and his peace in our life when we hide behind blame. Because then we become complacent in that blame and God can't move us. God can't change our hearts if we live in this type of attitude. So let me, let me give you some excuses that we use, okay? Everybody say, just say, everybody say, ouch. Okay, so these are ouchies, okay? Ouchie for me too. So let me give you a couple excuses. So the excuse for selfishness, we'll say things like, well, I would be more generous if I had more to give. So we blame not having what, what we can, but we know if we read the word of God, we see people that gave everything to the Lord, it doesn't matter if they have a lot or a little. So we can use the excuse of selfishness. Well, if I just had more, I'd give more. Or lust. I wouldn't struggle with lust if there weren't for this central society that we live in. So we blame our lust on the central society that we live in. Or we could say even sexual sin. Well, living together is better than going through another ugly divorce. So we use our sexual sin, knowing that we're out of God's will and plan for marriage in that context. And so we blame living together and we say, well, I don't want to go through another ugly divorce. So we blame something that's happened in our past or or what we have seen to live in sexual sin or anger. Um, I wouldn't lose my temper if the, if the kids would act better or if my spouse was more considerate or, or if, if people weren't so ignorant, I wouldn't get so angry. So now we, once again, we're blaming other people. Or, or we could even do this with our spiritual growth. Well, my spiritual life would be more vibrant if the church would feed me more or if my small group would help me or if worship was more engaging or if the chairs were more comfortable or if the music wasn't so loud, right? We just, just threw that out there. Just boom, all right? Let it sit where it wants, right? We can use all that as blame for our own spiritual growth or even bitterness. You, you, you don't know what that person did to me. That's why I'm so bitter. How could I forgive a person like that? So the own bitterness in our lives we'll use to blame everyone else. And, and, and we use what people have done to us as, as an excuse for our own sin. And we can do that. We can actually use what other people have done to us as an excuse for our, our, our own sin. And excuses will never allow us to progress. See, in reality, let me give you the reality of this. In reality, um, you might not have had a great upbringing. Maybe your mom and dad struggled in your upbringing. And it might be an explanation for you struggling as a mom or a dad or with your life. Maybe, maybe you didn't have a great example of a marriage or what a marriage should be. And that's why you feel like maybe you struggled in your marriage or, or why things weren't successful in your marriage. The reality is that that might very well be true. The reality is we live in a society that focuses on how you look and perform. And many of you feel like, man, I, I don't feel like I ever fit in. And it might be an explanation for why we struggle with our identity or why we struggle with addictions or eating disorders or whatever it may be. We, we may struggle with this because, because of the society that we live in. But how do we take responsibility for our actions and allow God's grace to overcome us in those situations so that we can begin to live in that grace and take a U-turn in our life and stop living in blame? Listen, blame is so much easier than forgiveness. Blame is much easier to go to that route than actually experiencing God's grace. And some of you are just locked up in this blame. You are just imprisoned to this blame. Of, and, and listen, I'm not trying to say that 
I'm not trying to make excuses or say that the reality is that some of these things have happened to you and that it wasn't difficult. But God wants you to come out of that. God wants you to come out of that mindset because it's poisonous to you. And the way God desires you to live in his grace and his forgiveness. So how do we get out of the blame game and, be t- and begin to take responsibility for our own lives? So how do we do it? Well, here's where it starts. It starts with the word. Everybody say it. That was hard for some of you. You know, when people are struggling in their relationship and they, and they say, Pastor Byron, you know, can we talk to you? Struggle in our relationship, whether it's a married relationship or a family relationship. And, um, and I'm not saying that these relationships are, diffi- are not difficult or these struggles are not difficult or, or, that, or that one or the other has hurt the other person or that the other person needs to change. But the only way relationships can truly change is when I first start with I, when I first start with me, that I have to own some of these things to allow God's grace to flow through these things. I've messed up. I could have been more responsible. I got mad. I lost my temper. I could have paid more attention. I didn't get that done on time. That's what's hard for us because we're so focused on the other person and what they've done to us that we never focus on ourselves and allow God to give us the grace to forgive that it's very hard to move forward. And so if we don't allow God to first deal with our heart, that relationship is going to be very difficult to heal or to resolve anything when I can't start with myself. Um, I worked at Wendy's um, when I was in high school. I made $3.05 an hour. Asked my boss if I could have a raise one time because I was one of their best workers. I, could, I was just awesome on the grill. They threw me on the grill the first day I worked there. So it was just trial by fire, man. Just stuck me right in there during the rush hour. And he's just, Barton, you can do is yelling at me. Go faster. Five rows of five, five rows of 20 people in the door. Blah, blah, blah. And, they're just and, I, and I, got, I got good at it. I was pretty good. I was good at flipping burgers. And uh, I got good at it. I was good. I was good. I came home greasy, smelling like grease every day. But I enjoy I worked there for about two or three years. And um, I asked the boss for a raise, and he gave me a raise. And so I looked at my next paycheck. Guess what the raise was? A nickel. Yeah, I remember that. Five cents. Woohoo! I'm living it up. So uh, making $3.10 at, at Wendy's. But I remember my manager there. His name was Gary. And I remember when w- he was so great at customer service. And when we would make a mistake, because you're, you're listening, it wasn't, you weren't looking at the screen or there wasn't a screen um, behind the grill. You had to listen to the person that was speaking it in the microphone. And so you had to get it right. So if it was a cheeseburger, double, triple, single, you had to, and then you put it on the bun and the person that was making it the sandwich. So it was easy to make a mistake because you don't have it in front of you. You're just listening to the person speaking it from the microphone back in those days. And that was the, back in the days when the big campaign is where's the beef. Remember the campaign, where's the beef? If I heard that one more time, I was going to strangle somebody right in the Wendy's. Because they're always saying, where ain't the beef? Okay, we get the commercial. It's funny. Yeah, okay. Um, we get it. Um, so that's when I worked there during that time. But you had, to, you had to listen really carefully. 
And, and I remember my manager, Gary, when we would make a mistake, somebody would come back and say, no, I don't want cheese. I, I didn't want, he, he never, I never saw him once berate one of the workers. How many, that, that, there's nothing worse than for me to be at a restaurant and hear an owner berate one of their workers in front of a customer. That's a no-no to me. I'm just getting that off my chest. I don't, you can do that later, but that's embarrassing and that's humiliating to the person that's working, especially in front of your, 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 your customer. But he, he was a good manager. He never did that. Now, at the beginning, I made a lot of mistakes because I was just, I was learning. And, uh, and so he'd come back and say, hey, Barden, this was no cheese on this. Can you make it different? And he'd always make it right. He'd come back to the customer and say, hey, we made a mistake and here's a coupon for, another, for a free single the next time you come back. He, he just, he would own it. And so he, he, he would always say, our bad, our bad. He never would say, oh man, these work, it's so hard to find good workers. I, I agree with you. You know, I got these high school kids. They're all knuckleheads. I don't know what I'm doing with you. He never did that. He'd always say, our bad, our bad. And then he'd come back later and say, Barden, and I said, yeah. And he goes, hey, just be better next time. Just listen or be better. And he goes, I know you can do better. Just, just be better next time. He never humiliated me. Never forgot that, never forgot his name, never forgot that manager. He would own it. And as the manager, he took the responsibility for his employees. That's a good manager. When he could have easily humiliated us, embarrassed us, like sometimes I see in some, in some settings, never did that. He would own it together. And you know what that did for me? That made me a better employee. See, his grace made me want to do better. His grace didn't cause me to have animosity against my manager. His grace and the way he dealt with me and the way he owned it as a team made me want to become a better employee. See, there's something different there. See, grace caused me to want to be a better employee. See, instead of blame... We take responsibility. I just want you to think just for a moment. Can you just think for a moment how much fewer arguments we would have if we would just own some of our stuff? See, when we take responsibility for our part, it literally diffuses arguments. We have a much more constructive conversation, and I dare you to try it. Just try it and see what happens. And so what I want to do is I want to finish by reading this passage that I can, I I believe can bring freedom and healing um, to, to hiding our shame and and owning our responsibility. So, so, and then we're going to just finish in song and let God deal with our hearts. But, but let me finish with this scripture. This is, this is Hebrews chapter 12. And in these verses in Hebrews, the, the beginning part is where we take ownership for, for our lives and the reality of our heart. And then the second part of that verse, which I love, shows actual God's grace and how we can approach him and how we can find mercy and help in our time of need when we own our sin and we own our shortcoming. So here's, here, here's the balance of this verse of Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. So I want to read this to you, and and I love this. Um, 
because it's such a balance of taking responsibility for our life and then knowing that there's God's grace. So here's the, re- here's the reality part. Are you ready? It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful or living and active. It's actually sharper than it, the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Ouch. So the word of God, just it exposes our innermost thoughts and, and all our desires. And so nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Now, if we were to stop there, right? If we were just to stop there, how many you know that, would, that, that could bring a lot of guilt and shame? Like, man, God knows everything and I know that. And man, we're accountable for all our actions. And then that could, that could allow us to live in this prison of shame and guilt and never find healing for our lives. But here's, here's the mercy and the grace of God. That when we realize that God wants to do something deeper in our hearts and our lives. And he says, listen, I don't want you to leave. Listen, yeah, I know everything. I know what you thought about this week. I know what you thought about last week. I know what happened two, four, five years ago. And we can have all this shame and guilt and feel like, how can I be a Christian with all this baggage in my life? That's what it does. We are accountable to God for every single one of our actions, both good and evil. We're accountable. Now, if if we were just to be left there, there wouldn't be a whole lot of hope, would there? There would be a struggle in our lives to realize, how do I make this up? And here's how people try to make it up. They try to make it up through penance and trying to be better. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll do this and I'll try to change. And how many know that's just an endless pursuit that never ends up good? Because the harder we try, the more we seem to fail. And the more we seem to struggle. So the answer isn't, me trying to be better in myself, the answer is we've got to do something about it. The answer is we own our shortcomings. We own our sin that each and every one of us has fallen short of God's perfection and glory. and We all deserve death. We own that. God, I, I don't deserve anything you've given me. See, when I, I come to that point in my life, that's when God's grace rushes in because we realize that it's only by God's grace that we could ever find forgiveness. <laughs> Covers all my sin. So here, here, here's, here, here's the grace part, okay? So, so here's the grace part, ready? Look at, look at verse 14. He gives the so then. Everybody say, so then. This is, this, is, this is the good part. So then what? We have a great high priest who has done what? Who has entered heaven for us, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. So now we come to Christ with our shortcomings. We come to Christ with our shame. We say, Jesus, I'm owning this. I'm owning this part of my life. I'm not perfect. I've made a lot of mistakes. But, but he's saying, but, 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 but we, have, we have someone that has interceded for you and I. There, there's this go-between. And so what Jesus does for us on the cross, he takes our sin and our shame and he dies to it in his own perfect life. Now what Jesus does, listen to me, now what Jesus does is he bridges this gap that, that there's no way we could have crossed that gap in ourselves. See, 
Adam and Eve, the way they tried to bridge the gap of their shame was to sow fig leaves. And God said, they ain't working. You can try to cover it, but it's not going to heal you. And so what God provides them is skins of animals. It was the first uh, blood sacrifice. And then he covered their shame. There had to be something, a penalty paid to cover their shame. And so God provided for them what they couldn't provide for themselves. So then we have what? We have this great high priest. God provided for us, for our sin and our shame that we couldn't provide for ourselves. Look at the next verse. So since we have, let's hold firm to what we believe, this high priest of ours, right, understands what? Our weakness. For he faced all the same testings we did, yet without sin. Look at the next verse. So let us now hide and run from God and hide in the wilderness and try to cover our sin and our shame by ourselves. No, what does it say? So now let us come boldly to the throne of our what? What's the word there? Gracious God. What does that mean? What it means is we don't deserve to come to God, but because he's gracious, he allows us to come because of his son. He says, I provided my son for you. Now through Christ Jesus, you can come to my throne. Not only come to my throne, but what does the word say? Boldly come. You can come. What the word there means is a confidence that you can come, that your sin no longer hinders you from coming to my throne because of what Christ has done for you. He paved the way for you. He rolled out the red carpet for you so that you could boldly come to the throne room of God and what? Receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. That's a pretty powerful verse right there. Some of you need to hear that today. You need to realize that God's grace and mercy is available. But listen, that is only provided for us until we own our own mistakes and we own our own sin and realize the only way that I can find forgiveness is through the provision that God gave me through his son, Jesus. So, so okay, so let, let's connect the dots here. Okay, Pastor Barden, but you don't know my situation. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the people that I have to deal with. You don't know the things that have been done to me. Listen, can, can I be honest with you? I, I don't. But how many know we all have a story? We all have our issues. We all have that family member, that coworker, that boss. How many know? So how does this relate to that? Well, now what you do is say, hey, listen, people need grace. That doesn't cover what they did. Do you think that God just bats his eye to all the things that we've done? Of course not. That's why Jesus' death is so wonderful. That's why the cross is really such a perfect act of God that none of us could ever think of. Because Jesus took our place. Jesus became our substitute. So then when I realize that it's only by God's grace, all of a sudden this grace flows in my life and all of a sudden all this bitterness and hatred flows out of my life. Now, is that problem still there? Everybody say, yes, it's still there. Are the problems still there? Oh yeah, you're going to wake up tomorrow and say, yeah, this has gotten worse. What's Pastor Barton talking about? Who gave him his credentials? What's going on there? The thing that is, it may get worse. But, the, but, but here's, here's the good news. The way you look at it is going to be completely different. 
Instead of blame and hatred and anger that has imprisoned you, you're going to be full of God's wonderful grace and mercy because now you have a place you can go to. And you can say, God, I need your help here. I need your help. I need your mercy and grace because I can't do this on my own. And boom, that's where his grace and his mercy floods into your life. Probably may be the same, but now you have God's grace and mercy in your life. And that thing, your heart's not beating heavier. Your blood pressure begins to go down because you're living in his peace. And listen, please listen to me. Blame will never solve your problems. The only thing blame will actually do is make your blood pressure go higher. Blame, the only thing blame is going to do is keep you imprisoned from God's grace infiltrating your life. So let's get rid of the blame game. Let's make a U-turn in our life here and say, God, I'm going to turn to your grace and your mercy in my time of need and not live in this prison of bitterness and hatred and blame. And, and, and you know, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm bad at this. My wife sometimes is like the Holy Spirit in my life where just, she just convicts me. Because I'll be like, you ever just jump to the conclusion like, you know, man, that person's driving like a maniac down the road. And Kathleen would be like, well, maybe they're trying to get to the hospital. Maybe that person is just really hurting and dying. I'm like, will you stop it? I want to blame them. I want to say, I'm hoping there's a cop up there that pulls them over for going too fast. And Kathleen's like, well, maybe they're trying to get, maybe it's an emergency. I'm like, okay, sorry. You know, and then, you know, and it, 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 we all do that. But, but at the end of the day, there's a reason why we jump to that conclusion right off the bat. And the reason why we jump to that conclusion right off the bat many times is there's a problem with my heart. Can I get an amen? amen. It's usually my heart. Let God deal with your heart. And so as we come to the Lord and we just close today and we just pray, I, I, just, I just want us to just allow God to deal with these things in our heart and, and, and just take this away, to just take this takeaway with you. Admitting our weaknesses opens us up to God's undeserving grace. So just admit you're weak. Admit, you know, God, I struggle with, you know, with blame. I, I, I've got some bitterness in my heart here. I need your grace to come in. And, and, I, and I want you to find that grace and that forgiveness every single day in your life and realize the proclivity of your heart is to wander back to blame. Don't go there. It won't work. God's endless supply of grace and mercy is available every single day. His mercies are new every single morning. Let's run to his throne and not to the throne of blame. Amen? So would you stand with me? And I want to pray for you. We're going to just close in song today. Let's ask God just to speak to our hearts today. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and your grace and your mercy. And I just pray as we just close in song that you would just speak to our hearts today. And Lord, I know many of us are battling with some pretty heavy-duty stuff in our lives. And, and the only thing we can do is come to your throne. The only thing we can do is lay this thing at your feet because we want your grace and your peace in our lives because the other road is not taking us anywhere and it's just caused more uh, heartache and uh, guilt and shame and bitterness. And God, you don't want us to live in that state any longer. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we would just now come to you and seek you in these areas to find your grace and mercy and to take responsibility for the things in our lives so that your grace may flow into our lives. 
So thank you for your grace, Jesus. Thank you for your patience with Barden. Thank you for your patience with every single one of us. You're such a good God. Help us to live out that grace in a world that is so undeserving of it. And I am so undeserving of it. But change my mindset to live as someone who lives in your grace. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. 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 Sing this unto the Lord. Make it your prayer today. God bless you.